that it's been good for me to be here today enjoyed the service so far and uh, trust that the time of the message will be a time of inspiration as well just for the sake of those who have not been here previously I've been doing a series on the family uh, just entitled strengthening family series and uh, today I would like to talk or to to address the uh, youth, um, primarily talking to the youth, and um, I would uh, I would be remiss if if in this family series we would not have at least one message for the youth, and so I'd like to do that this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not often that we take a message from the book of Ecclesiastes, but today I would like to. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I'd like to start reading in verse 9. I don't have this on the PowerPoint, uh, the uh, text, because it's a little bit longer. Um, but uh, So just take your Bibles, and uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 9. I'm going to have you stand for the reading of the word. And we're going to read from uh, verse 9 to the end and then chapter 12. Ecclesiastes 11, 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the way of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity." Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few. And by the way, if you're not aware uh, the writer here is talking about old age and what happens here. Uh, so the grinders are your teeth, and the, uh, the strong men is bowed down and stooped over. And they look through, at, verse, at the end of verse 3 here, and they look through, sorry, and those that look through the windows grow dim when the doors are shut in the street. That means they don't go out, in, out of the house much anymore. And the sound of the grinding is low. When, by the way, when you chew something without teeth, it doesn't make a lot of noise. Okay? When one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of music are brought low, also they are afraid of heights and the tears of the, in the way. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper is a burden, and desires fail, for man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6, remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheels broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he, taught, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The, pe- the preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright and words of truth. 
The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholar are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these, of of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandment, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And Father, as we have read your word, I pray that you would rightly divide the word of God to our hearts. Help us to understand it and to uh, digest it and then to act upon it. I want to pray especially for every young person here in this audience today. Lord, I am so excited when I hear youth talking about what's happening in the church. And we look to them to come along and uh, be the church of today and tomorrow. Bless and keep them. In your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Dale Sanders is a 81-year-old Kentucky-born octogenarian who is currently on a five-month quest to claim a record on the country's most popular trail known as the AT or the Appalachian Trail. Willis already talked about it. I stumbled across this article this past week when I was on Courtney's Facebook. By the way, I have... uh, Courtney and I have been meeting ever since he's been back from SMBI on a weekly basis, and um, I've just uh, been following him pretty close while he's on the trail, and I told Courtney, I said, Courtney, I said, you promise me, I said, if you ever come to the place where you feel like quitting, you promise me to call me before you do that. I said, if I need to, I'll drive out there and I'll talk with you. I want to see you end this, this trail, this quest well. And he promised he would. The article that I read about Sanders is that he has a goal to break the record of being the oldest person to hike the Appalachian Trail. He started his quest on March 14th, and if successful, he'll finish the 2,190-mile trek in September and uh, outdo Larry Berry, or Lee Berry, who set the previous record just back in 2004 to complete the trail at age 81. Sanders will be 82 uh, this June. Now his goal is to make about 14 to 15 miles each day, to walk about that far each day, and he hopes to up that by about 18 to 20 miles once he gets out of the Smoky Mountains. Few of us know the level of stamina and discipline it takes to accomplish this feat. I know a little bit because of Bronson having been on it for 30 days and some of the guys here and, of course, following uh, uh, court and all of that. Sanders has a couple pretty big knocks against him right right out of the gate. According to the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, or the ATC, it is said that only one out of four who set out to complete the trail... Um, as a through-hike, actually finish it. So already, he's got about 75% of of odds against him. One out of four. But probably even a greater issue is the fact that those who do make it through to the end, the average age for those who do make it all the way from beginning to end 
is 25 years old. Sanders will be 82. <clears throat> Sanders are better known by his trail name as Gray, Graybeard Adventurer or, or simply Graybeard, considers himself to be a pretty competitive guy. If he accomplishes his goal, it would not be the first record that he set. Back in 1959, it is said that he won or, or has the world's record for staying underwater the longest without breathing. And that amount of time was six minutes and four seconds. Now, Guinea's World Book of Records has no claim to this. They don't know whether that's true or not. But according to Sanders, he accomplished this. Another feat that was much more recent that he accomplished was being the oldest person to paddle the Mississippi River in a canoe from source to sea. And he did this 2,300-mile trek uh, in 80 days back in, 19, or in 2015, only about three years ago, two years ago. The purpose for that trip was to raise money for juvenile di uh, uh, diabetes. Hundreds of people have told him, I hope I'm just like you when I'm 80 years old. And he says, he admits that this is very inspiring to hear. He admits that at 81, it's much harder to hike the trail than at 21. One of the quirks that he faces is a worsening, or is a worsening circulation, particularly in his hands. He said, there's a double negative to that, and that is especially when it gets cold. And to add to that, he said that uh, uh, his biggest concern with being out there is when it's wet and cold out in the middle of the wilderness. His second big concern, obviously, is that he would stumble and fall and potentially break a bone, which would end his hike. And so as a result, he carries with him a spot tracker with an SOS button in case of a medical emergency. Now, when people have asked Sanders what it is that keeps him so healthy for so long, Sanders says that over time he developed a formula to live happily, which, help claim, uh, which, he ha which he claims has helped him stay healthy and to avoid diseases and to keep his body fresh. He says there's there's, there are two major uh, tenets that, uh, that, that consist uh, in, his, in his formula. And the first one, that he says that you have to have some spiritual belief in your life. You have to have some spiritual belief in your life. He said one of the most, one of the, uh, the favorite, his most favorite thing about being out on the trail is being out in nature and being alone in nature with God and with the universe. I find it interesting that he's plugged into a body of believers at a Baptist church back in Kentucky. Or Tennessee, which one was it? Kentucky? I forget. Somewhere down south, you all know. And I would just like to pause and say that it's interesting that he would say that it's important for him. And I know that you've heard us talk about it here already many times, how important it is for you to be plugged in into a body of, uh, into a community of believers. And we'll talk about it briefly, but you've also heard us talk so much 
how the pressure of today, the, the worldview of today, is there's a strong, strong thrust for individualism. And the tendency is for you to pull away and live your own life by yourself. I just find it interesting that an old man like this that has that much energy is saying, part of my formula has been to be plugged into a body of believers. Second thing he says, you've got to live actively. And uh, it minimizes your chances of, uh, of, of disease and, and, and staying healthy, even at an old age. Now, most of us would respect a man like Sanders and uh, applaud his tenacity and strength. This kind of respect deepens with age. In other words, the older you get, the more you appreciate the strength of youth. Someone made the observation that the trouble with life is that you get old too soon and smart too late, which, of course, I used as the title for the message this morning. This, by the way, this, this title is given more as a lament than a criticism. In other words, I look back in my own life and lament learning key principles or not learning key principles or learning them too late in life. And the temptation for me is to wish to go back and be able to redo it uh, earlier in my life. But since that's an impossibility, maybe the best thing that I can offer is some words that wisdom and age has brought and experience has brought. So I'd like to go back to the text. Uh, this morning I just felt like God was telling me I just want you to give a very simple message to the youth. It's not going to be a complicated message of any sort. Actually, just a couple words that I would really want to encourage you to remember. Remember is one of the words, by the way, and we'll get to that. Most of us have, it has, it's, been a, it's been presumed that, the, that, that King Solomon is the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. We don't know that for certain except to say that in verse 1 of chapter 1 it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So based on this presumption, we see in our text a man that was reckoning with the vitality and the vigor of youth and also that of old age. If we take the time to process what he said and what is being said, we will find some very good insights uh, that he learned in the course of his extraordinary life. Solomon made some very foolish choices. And I think he was at the end of his life and looking back and he's wishing that he could redo it. And so he gives us some instruction. I would like to leave you with three simple instructions that I would like to explore with you from the wisest man that ever lived. The first one, I'd like to go back in verse 9 of chapter 11. Rejoice, O young man, and I might add young woman, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the insight of you, and, and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. The first word I'd like for you to remember is rejoice. That's the first piece of instruction that I'd like for you to remember as a young person. Rejoice. Why 
does Solomon encourage youth to rejoice when they are young? Could I suggest that the teen years can be a bit difficult to navigate? I know because I was there once. While it can be an exciting time, when it can be an adventurous time, the reality of adulthood stares you in the face and suddenly you're faced with the fact that there are many decisions in your life that you need to make and every one of those decisions have a consequence. Making these decisions are not always easy. In fact, it can weigh heavy on your spirit. Solomon reminds us, rejoice. It is good for us to have, uh, to, to consider the seriousness of life, but not to the extent that it robs us of our joy. What are some of the, the joy robbers that, that youth face? And I would just like to suggest three of them. There may be more, but I would at least like to suggest three of them. The first one that I think of is selfishness. One of the characteristics that comes with the teen years is more and more independency. But there's a dichotomy to independence, and it's called selfishness. It is right and proper for youth to, to stretch their wings. In fact, Laverne prayed that for, for win this morning. And, and it's one of the things that, that we've taught you as parents. When we, when we talked about parents, one of the things that parents need to do with their children is you need to give your children roots, a place where they can come back and stabilize and, and because they're going to get beat up out there in the world. And you have to give them a place where they can come back, reorient, and go back out again. So give them roots. But the other thing is we have to give them wings. Nothing is more sickening than to see a parent doting over an adult child. It's very sickening. It's a very sickening relationship. We might pass it off as good, good uh, family ties, but it actually, in essence, is very sickening. It's not healthy, let's put it that way. So, it's right and proper for youth to stretch their wings. In fact, uh, yes, uh, the, the, the caution that I would like to give, though, is that these freedoms can quickly become selfish. And selfishness, when it is finished, can quickly rob you of joy. Well, selfishness might give you temporary happiness, but there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Moses recognized this difference in the book of Hebrews last Sunday for the adult Sunday school lesson. We read about the life of Moses in chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. And it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, and I presume he became of age possibly somewhere in his early or late teens, maybe early 20s, I don't know that for sure, for certain, but it would be my assumption. When he became of age, he says, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Listen, make no mistake about it, sin is pleasurable for the moment. Sin always appeals to the flesh. There is pleasure in the things that sin offers. That is why immorality, drugs, alcohol, 
uh, an infatuation with sports and many other things are so appealing. These things are pleasurable for the moment, but they will never bring you joy. And they will never give you peace. If you choose to chart your course to mainly please self, you will be left wanting. Some of the most successful and the most energy-giving young people that I know of in the past or present are those who are wise enough to realize that the quality of their life hinges and is enhanced to the degree that they focus on other people. Secondly is self-rejection. This is also a joy robber. Another reality that comes with the teen years is negative peer pressure. Notice I said negative peer pressure or negative pressure. Negative peer pressure frequently fosters an emotional rejection of self. There's an innate longing in every soul. I don't care if you're young to the oldest. From the youngest to the oldest, there's an innate longing in every soul to find acceptance in your group. But this yearning is particularly amplified in youth. Youth are still trying to find their way. They're still trying to find out where they fit. And maybe we should talk about the 40 and 50 year olds that are still trying to find out where they fit. But since we're focusing on youth, we'll stay here. Many times, when someone is not at peace with themselves, they will go to extreme pursuits to build their self-worth. And they go to a host of different things, many different things. Things that they buy or things that they do to try to find acceptance, but it always leads back to an empty heart. Listen, until you come to the place that you embrace the truth of Psalm 139, verse 14, where it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully created. Until you embrace that, you will continue in a perpetual state of discouragement and ultimately depression. Self-rejection robs you of joy. And just for my own personal testimony, there are several things in my past as I was growing up that I really did not like about myself. And I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it. In fact, I'm not sure if I ever mentioned this in public or not. But the third grade, I failed. And I had to redo third grade. And that left an ugly mark in my life. I felt very... Uh, I, I just felt like it was written all over the world for people to see. James failed third grade. The other thing, as I grew older, and I was these guys' age, all of a sudden I realized that, you know, I really didn't have any facial hair. I had that baby face. And I hated that baby face. And the few little two or three hairs I could grow were embarrassing to show. Now I know these women over here, they, that could mean very little to them. The thing about it is, between those two things, one of the things I could do something about, and if you can do something about it, change it. You know what? I could buckle down and I could work hard in my school, and I could do a better job in, at school. And, uh, and today I love studying. I love learning. I love reading. I love, I love listening to people preach. I love people. And, and so I love it today. It was something I could change. 
The other one, I had nothing that I could do to change to my knowledge. And so I have to come back and say, you know what, God, you knew exactly. You knew exactly how you wanted to create me. You made me good. When he stood back and he created James, he says, it is good. And so I have to accept that and embrace it. The third thing that is a joy robber, I would like to refer to as sensuality. Solomon gives us some advice back here in verse 10 of chapter 11 in Ecclesiastes. He says, therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh for childhood and vanity are, are sorry, for childhood and youth are vanity. Satan loves to take what God created as good and to turn it into something vile. I've talked to many young men who have ended up despising their masculinity and their God-given passions because it has turned into a vice. And I would just like to say for your encouragement, brothers, your male sexuality is God-designed. Embrace it. God has made and called men to take leadership. And our physiological designs perpetrates our calling. It helps us to take initiative. God made no mistake with our design. He said it is good. However, we must guard those passions so that they will not destroy us. God placed certain parameters around our sexuality and, 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 and instructed us how to keep our bodies in check. Satan wants to take our sexuality and turn, and turn it into sensuality. And when we give into that, it, it robs us of joy. We must tap into, uh, deeply into the grace of God to keep from falling into this vice. Our sisters, on the other hand, are also designed differently, but they too have an obligation to use your female virtues to glorify God. Your God-given desire is to be a helper suitable for the male. That's what that word help means. Helper suitable for the male. And while this is a God-given desire, Satan then wants to take your purity and destroy your purity by causing you to flaunt or give your body in a sensual way. And you too must tap in on the grace of God to channel your beauty and your purity and your desire to be a helper for God's glory. This is an area that youth wrestle with deeply, and it can rob you of joy if you allow sensuality to rule the body. I just also hear we have several couples that are in courtship, and I would just really appeal to all the couples here today who are in a relationship, in a courtship, to place healthy parameters around your courtship so you will not have to deal with lifelong heartaches that come when there's a violation of morality uh, prior to your marriage. So I would just place that appeal out there. So rejoice. Don't forget to, don't forget to enjoy your youth. Uh, that's one of the instructions that Solomon gives. The second one 
is found in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember is the second word I'd like for you to remember. Our society says youth for pleasure, middle age for business, and old age for religion. But the scriptures say just the opposite. It encourages youth to remember the creator while you are young. What Solomon came to realize is that we tend to get old too soon and smart too late. He goes on this long dissertation from verse 2 to, to verse 12 uh, and, 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 and talks about how quickly we grow old and what happens when we grow old. And so obviously he experienced at least some of that or was aware of some of that. And that's why he's appealing to you, youth, remember the creator when you're young. Four reasons I'd like to give you to remember. Four reasons you should remember your creator when you're young. The first one is that these are your most energetic years. The story goes about an elderly couple who went out to dinner with another couple went over to these people's place, the other couple's place for, for dinner. And they, they ate dinner together. And after they were done eating, the women went out into the kitchen. And the two gents stayed behind and began to talk. And the one said to the other, hey, last night, my wife and I went out to a new restaurant. It was a really great place to go. And I would highly recommend it. The other one responded, well, well where was it? And the first man thinks a while and finally says, what is the name of that flower that you give when you love someone? You know, that red one that has thorns on it? And he said, you mean a rose? He said, yeah, yeah, that's the one. And he turns around and yells into the kitchen and says, Hey, Rose, what restaurant did we go to last night? <laughs> well, whether we like it or not, life passes us by very quickly. Ask my dad, ask Willis, ask Lloyd or Eli or any of the older people in here, and I'm sure each one of them would say, life goes by very, very quickly. I see Eli nodding his head. The God who made us deserves our most active and healthy years. I really encourage you to think of using your most energetic years of your life in service for him. Allow yourself some maturity and age before you get into a courtship relationship. Use that time to invest into a time of service. You know that we encourage you youth to go out into service or to, to develop your spiritual life and in numerous opportunities that are available to you. You have so many more opportunities than I even did in my generation. There's all kinds of them. A lot of you have tapped into that. SMBI, FB. Uh, I go and just different places like that that really develop your spiritual life. The second one, the second reason <clears throat> we need to remember is because these are your most sensitive years. According to one statistic, it is said that, that 85% of children become a Christian before or by the age of 15. 85% of children become Christians before age 15. The chances of one becoming saved drops significantly 
between ages 15 to 30, uh, and only 10% come to know the Lord during that span of life. And it drops even further after 30 years old. It drops way down to 4%, uh, according to one statistic. By far, more of us have become Christians in our youth than in our middle or older age. And it's because our youthful years are sensitive years. Youthful hearts have not become calloused and hardened with indifference. I recall one gal that we worked with for a long time, for many years up north, and and her declaration was that I got where I am at in life because of me. Nobody helped me. And obviously she had experienced a lot of painful things in her youth, and it was hard for her to let go of that pain. Remember God in your youth because your heart is more receptive to God and to his grace when you are young. If you develop that dependency on God when you're young, it will help defer that dependency on him when you're old. The third thing, third reason that we should remember is because these are your most teachable years of your life. You need to remember that someday the student will become the teacher. What you learn when you are young, will determine the effectiveness of your teaching ability as you age. That's one reason. The second reason that we need to, uh, to remember is simply because of the law of harvest. The scriptures say you will reap what you sow. It doesn't say that you might or that you could or that you may. It says you will reap what you sow. There's something to be said about a young adult who honors and respects the teachings of his parents. Live your life with no regrets. Live your life with no regrets. The third or the fourth reason that we should remember is that these are your most dangerous years. And I want to qualify that. When I say that they are the most dangerous years, It is because you are developing your convictions. You cannot, we've taught this, there are no grandchildren in God's economy. There are only children. You cannot go on the faith of your parents or your grandparents. And so you're developing these convictions. You're you're developing your values and and, and your principles that you're going to, to, to believe in. You live in a precarious time. And this should not discourage us. I don't say this to discourage you. Rather, it should cause us to sit up and be alert. There are three prevailing philosophies that have shaped the Western world, and I'm just going to go through these very quickly. The first one is naturalism. The reality that the only thing that really is is what, we can, be, what can be seen, what is in nature. Faith is scoffed at because it cannot be touched, tasted, or seen. This belief has many tentacles, which filters into the common belief of evolution and many other beliefs about science. So that's a prevailing wind that is out there. The second one is relativism. This belief claims that there is no truth. There was an experience that was conducted recently with 10 college kids 
uh, in which a card was placed in front of them with two lines on them. The one, was, the one line was slightly larger than the other line. And they were either represented as A or B. And there were a number of these cards. The twist to this experience was that out of the ten, nine of them were told to vote the wrong way. Okay? So when the teacher asked which line is the longest, A or B, if A was the longest, nobody raised their hand. And when he asked if B was, nine of them raised their hand. Sorry, the, the, the only one person raised their hand on A, and, and nine of them raised their hand on B. And they kept doing this with different cards. And what they discovered, that it only took about four or five cards before 70% of the students began to conform to the crowd. They were willing to give up the obvious. To say, you know, maybe B isn't the longest line. And they were willing to vote with the A in order to conform with the crowd. Our society has removed many landmarks of truth from their worldview. And there's an avalanche of destructive practices coming down the pike. You're right in the middle of them. Now, this should not discourage us. And the last one that I have is, I already touched on it, is individualism. And I think we've touched a lot of that here already in different various messages. I just want to say one more thing, that, that both the family structure and the church is meant to be lived out in a sense of community. Neither entity can function properly with an individualistic attitude prevailing. And the thing that I want to encourage you with this morning, I don't give you these worldviews to discourage you, but rather to let you know that God's grace has covered every century of history, including yours. God's grace is there. You can stand, and we believe in you that you will, by God's grace. I encourage you to tap in deeply on that virtue. The last one that I want to go to is the very last two verses in this passage in verse 12. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. The word that I'm going to look for is not stated directly here, but it is insinuated and I would like to suggest the word regard, regard. There's a twofold instruction uh, that we see here that we should regard. We should regard, we should fear God, number or A, and B, we should keep his commandments. To fear God is to respond to him in awe and reverence and wonder. In essence, these two instructions can be summed up with the first and second command that Jesus gave, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. If you want to gauge how well you're doing in life, measure yourself by these two standards. Now why is this so important? Why is it so important that we fear God and keep his commandments? Because of the very next sentence that it says there, for God will bring every work 
into judgment. Someday, someday, you will stand. You will answer to the one who created you. It is easy to forget that instruction when you're young and your peers are pressuring you to do something you know would not be pleasing to God. It's easy to forget that. Or when you're making life choices that may not have immediate consequences, but later on they might. We applaud a man like Graybeard, and um, I respect his energy and his goal. I think it's a, it's a good goal to have. I don't see anything wrong with that. His record will cease, however, when God brings every work into judgment. And we will all meet the Creator at the same level. I'd like for you to close by having you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a couple of verses I'd like to leave you uh, leave in closing here. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15, reads like this. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or, or stubble, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Sanders' accomplishment will someday mean nothing. But the choices that you make and the choices that you make in life will make a difference on the quality of the hereafter. Let's pray and I'll turn the time over to Keith to close. Thank you, Jesus, for the instructions that you gave through the preacher the wisest man that had some insight to life. Lord, again, we commit these youth to your care. Guide and direct them. Place your hedge around them. Help them to follow you passionately. We pray this in your name. Amen.